Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and we are joined once again today by co-host Brianne Laro. Hi, Brianne. Hi, Marsha. How is Hawaii today? How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm just um, always grateful to be back at home. Well, thank you uh, for joining us on the podcast. We're continuing our conversations today with uh, some of the amazing women of the USA spearfishing team. Um, and I really appreciated your thoughts and contributions, uh, Brienne, last podcast. So I'm excited that you're back today to talk to our guest, Melody Engel. Hi, Melody. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Where are you talking to us from today? I am in Tampa Bay, Florida, nice. um, specifically Tarpon Springs, Florida. And how's Tampa Bay today? It's wonderful. We've got great weather, summer storms as usual, but it's mm -hmm. fantastic. Lovely. Uh, so our opening question, just to uh, get our gears turning, is what is your go-to aim-to-impress fish recipe? Well, I don't have one particular fish recipe that I prefer, but what I can say about that is always cook fresh. Um, for me, it's same day. So it's caught the day of and, and cooked the day of. Um, I don't typically mm. freeze fish. Um, so I like to eat it the same day that I, that I caught it or within a day or two, but definitely to keep it fresh. Um, mm -hmm. you can, you know, eat it raw and, and sashimi, or you can cook it and pan sear it. If you want to do something simple with breadcrumbs or coconut flakes and Parmesan and olive oil and a little bit of garlic and it, it'll be fantastic. Um, but mm -hmm. basically, um, for me, I can eat fish almost any way as long as it's fresh and love it. So um, fish tacos are fantastic, grilled, um, you know, marinated a little bit and some olive oil and fresh herbs. And But as long as it's fresh, you're going to have a great meal. That sounds delicious. Mm. You, you both have an advantage over me. I'm in Montana and <laughs> a little advantage over me in that category. How often do you find yourself eating fish? Because, I mean, if I might end up eating it every day. Well, um, so weather permitting, I like to dive every weekend, um, sometimes during the week. So I like to eat fish um, two to three days a week, possibly. Um, when we go out spearfishing, a lot of times we'll prepare, we'll prepare ceviche uh, ingredients ahead of time. And when we spearfish, we'll cut it up on the boat and throw it in the, in the in ingredients and then eat it on the way back in. Mm -hmm. And as well as, you know, keeping keeping some fillets to eat, you know, that night or, you know, uh, the next night or two, something like that. And I, and I also do give a lot of fish away to um, friends, family, and neighbors as well. Oh, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I agree with the freshness of fish. I, I really took notice of that just like a few months ago. I had gone out um, fishing with my uncle and just a few hours after we had caught that fish he had made it and it's a fish it's like a bait fish that other people use but it was like the best fish I had ever tasted and I couldn't figure out why and he told me he was like you're tasting the freshness of the fish 
And like for him, because he fishes so often, he said he could tell uh, whether a fish is like a day or two old, whether it's, you know, you could taste it every single day that you wait to eat it. So I definitely agree with you, Melody. Yeah, fresh is best. Awesome. Melody, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Um, Who am I? Well, I'm a business owner, so I work a lot of hours. Um, Let's see. Um, Well, I'm obviously a Spira. That's what we call each other, the the women in the sport Spiras. Um, Let's see. My hobbies, I'm an ex-figure skater. It's something I was passionate about. Um, Skydiving in my previous life as well, 1,500 jumps, world records on, you know, within that sport as well. Um, I guess I'm somebody who just kind of has a, a propensity to to like, I guess we'll call it high-risk sports or high-adrenaline sports, challenging sports, and um, that's who I am. I'm very passionate about, you know, my hobbies and my sports and, and basically everything in life. It's amazing. Are you from Florida? I was born and raised in Miami. And um, oddly enough, my family is all from North Georgia, so I've got a little bit of country flair going on in my life, <laughs> which is interesting. But I was born and raised in, you know, in South Florida and have basically lived in Florida my entire life. So being on the water in the ocean is just something that has always been a part of me. Uh, okay, let's let's dive in, because as I mentioned at the start, um, you are one of the members of the spearfishing, the women's spearfishing team. Um, and we talked to Kelsey last week, and we're excited to talk to you this week and hear your story um, and dive in, uh, dive in a little deeper. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but let's, I'd love to lay a bit of a foundation. Can you define for us what is free diving and spearfishing? Yeah, sure. So, um, so in con in contrast to scuba diving, we dive without air. So basically, um, think about it as snorkeling on steroids. So basically, um, we're in the water with spear guns and we dive down to depths, sometimes around a hundred feet. Okay. And we spear fish. And, um, so you go down on a single breath hold and, um, which we're trained to do and you kind of are in the, the environment of the ocean without the bubbles and without the use of an external air supply. So to me, it's, it's really calming and it just feels really more like you're one with nature. And, um, so, but it is challenging and it is difficult. Um, it takes training and learning how to manage your, your breath and, and to stay safe. You know, it's, it's, it's physically taxing, um, but it is much more difficult than spearfishing on say a scuba tank. Mm-hmm. I have a couple follow-up questions. One is like, so if you're out for the day um, spearfishing, how many dives do you usually take? Or is that even a question you can ask? Well, I mean, you might go from one spot and we call it drops in free diving okay. instead of dives. Um, so, so you go to one spot and you might make 30 drops there, let's say. So so every time you drop, you come up and, and there's a period of time where you have to recover. Uh-huh. So it might be three minutes, okay, if you make a one-minute dive or four minutes. Um, 
and and it depends on you your, yourself as well your your limitations you know you know you know what your limitations are and how long you should recover so i mean you could make 30 or 40 drops at one location and um if it's a great spot you could stay there all day but typically speaking we may go to three spots or four spots in a day um and and spearfish on on those various spots and we do pick where we're going based on the fish that we're targeting so um you know we might go to a wreck um, for purposes of finding pelagic fish in the water column. And then we might go to reefs for purposes of getting fish on the ledge, um, like grouper and snapper and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, how many dives or drops you make in the day really, you know, depends on, on what your, your aim is for the day and how well you're doing at a particular spot. Okay. And then I was also curious about the spear guns, some technical questions, basically sure. like where do you aim on a fish and how do okay. you practice? Well, <laughs> there's, so practice is basically real time okay. in the water. That's what I was wondering. Um, so, and that brings us to an interesting, an interesting question. So women spiros spiros in general but women in particular i think that we're we're, we kind of lean towards the humane side of things so our goal is when you shoot the fish the creature you want to kill it you don't want it to suffer so you we call it a stone shot so what that means is um it's usually either brained or it's on the spine and it and it just basically kills the fish instantly there's no pain there's nothing so um it's behind the eye and and usually at a certain spot depending on the species of fish and um so practice um so you want you practice basically you're starting out with smaller fish and fish that are more docile and easier to learn to spear so um for example a red grouper is a very docile fish that usually just sits there and looks at you and hogfish, um, hog snapper, hogfish are the same, same as well, which are, um, typically fairly easy to shoot. Um, and then you get, you know, going to higher levels where you're going after hundred pound tuna and things of that nature, you know, which are obviously not as easy to get. So. That's fascinating. How, how close are you typically when you take a shot? Pretty close. Yeah. Um, it could be, it could be four feet away. It could be 10 feet away. Um, you know, probably not much more than 10 feet away, hopefully. Um, because again, you, you really, your goal is to stone the fish for a variety of reasons. You know, you, you, you don't want it to suffer, but also, um, you don't want trouble on your hands either. You've got a line on your gun on the end of that spear. And if you, if you don't, disable the animal okay then it's going to start swimming and the bigger that it is the harder it is to get it to the surface and um and the other thing is sharks tend to be attracted to things that are alive all right so and they're vibrating and bleeding and things of that nature and i'm sorry if this is a little bit too grotesque but but it's the reality reality. of what we do Yeah. yeah so so um so if you stone a fish and and i know this is this is accurate. Most sharks are not interested in it at all. I do, I do this all the time. And so I can tell if I'm going to attract the sharks and they're there. And, um, so if you stone the fish and the shark is there, which they are, they are a lot of the times he typically just swims by. He just isn't interested. But if, if that fish is not dead, 
then, you know, you have a problem with the fish swimming rapidly fast, pulling you to the bottom, sharks trying to grab it and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's what goes on. It can be quite an adventure at times. And Mm -hmm. that's a good reason to have a really solid buddy near you to help out when things don't go exactly as planned. Yeah. So what would a buddy do in that situation? Um, we call it double shafting the fish. Okay. So they'll come and they'll shoot it again. Or if that's not, um, if you've got a shark on you, they'll, they'll protect you from the shark and you'll take possession of the fish and get it to the boat and they will have their gun aimed at the shark, maybe poke the shark, swim down and kind of try to intimidate it a little bit. Um, and then most of the time it's going to, it's going to rear off and go away. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so so, Melody, when did you start, um, or when did you get into um, spear fishing and free diving? Like, you have this long history of doing these adventure sports, and you could talk about that too. Um, but what what was it about those two things um, that that just hooked you? Well, I guess I'm an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> is that a requirement? Cause I feel like Kelsey yeah. is too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kelsey really. Yeah. I think we're, we're probably from the same mother, but anyway, so, so, um, let's see. Um, wh- when I got pregnant with my daughter in 1995, I was actually on a women's world record, um, dive attempts, skydiving attempts. And I, scratched myself from the list because I felt something was wrong. Nature told me it was wrong. I scratched Mm -hmm. and I did, I I made a few dives and I left, which was unlike me to do. And I found out that I was pregnant a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. So at that point, Mm -hmm. my skydiving career ended then. I never, I haven't jumped out of a plane since because of the responsibility of being a mother and the dangers involved with that sport. So when I'm pregnant and here I am living in Florida and it's hot, I would go diving in springs and, and when I say diving, snorkeling, okay, just trying mm-hmm. to get cool, cooled off. It's so hot here in July, August, September. And um, my husband and all my friends were scuba diving and I just would snorkel around the top and watch them. So once my daughter was born, um, about a year later, um, I got scuba certified and did that for many years. And I just, about five years ago, got interested in um, freediving. I watched um, I watched an organization called Diving for a Cause, and they go into mm-hmm. um, countries um, or islands and places, and they bring freedivers in, and they go shoot fish and donate it to the village. And, um, wow. and I watched this organization, and I thought, wow, I want to do this. So I emailed the founder and she got me in touch with Ted Hardy, which was captain of the U.S. men's um, apnea freediving team at the time. And I took a course with him and she said he was the best and the safest. And I drove down to Fort Lauderdale and I took a test with him or a a course with him. And, Mm -hmm. um, And then a few years later, I was able to locate some other free divers because there, you know, there weren't many that I knew of and, um, started to, to learn, you know, to, to free dive with, with a group with, you know, actually with Rosabelle mostly who you're going to interview with as well. Um, 
so uh that's that's how it started i just um yeah. I, I just thought it was really cool to not have tanks and to go and do this thing with these big fish and um selectively harvest them and and it just seemed challenging so that's how that started did you spearfish with a when you were scuba diving as well or is that yeah okay i i did i um so i i um i ran spearfishing tournaments and i won tournaments or placed and i did quite well at it and got involved in the dive community quite a bit and um so so I had, you know, a huge amount of, of community in in scuba diving. So it, it was hard for me to, to locate other people that were into free diving. It was, it was difficult. But, you know, I finally did, and, and here I am now. So, um, so anyways, I'm, I'm captain <laughs> of the team, by the way, which is way more challenging than just the diving part, in my opinion. But, um, but anyways, um, it's kind of odd that this whole thing unraveled the way it is. So mm-hmm. did you run into any challenges when you were first getting into the sport? Well, I was in, you know, I'm 56 now, so I was 50 or 51 at the time for the freediving aspect of it. And yeah, I mean, it's physically demanding and um, very difficult and it's um, mentally, mentally very difficult to learn how to take one breath of air and go down, you know, and hold it for a minute, you know, going to depths, you know, mm-hmm. 70 feet sometimes um, in poor mm-hmm. visibility at times where you can't see all that well. And, um, you know, and I'm amongst a lot of younger, younger women and men that, are, you know, it's, it's quite a difference. So um, mm-hmm. for me, um, you know, it's been really challenging, but I love it, you know, so I just continue on and, Every little, every little success, every little improvement to me is a big deal. And um, so I just keep moving forward. Okay. I have, I have a lot of questions about, <laughs> um, no worries. Uh, about um, your, well, let's start with your role as captain. What, um, what does that entail for the team? Okay. In terms of being team captain, there's a lot of responsibility. Um, there's a lot of coordination with the International Federation, which is called CMAS, and USOA, mm-hmm. which is the United States Federation. So we have to, you know, complete forms, health forms, registration forms, and send in deposits and funds and things like that within di- um, certain guidelines and deadlines. And um, so I have to make sure that all that stuff is done properly. COVID adds a little bit um, more to that, that degree of administration as well. But um, all the ladies are vaccinated, so that kind of helps matters on on that front. Um, In terms of what I do daily right now is um, I created an Instagram page for the for the the team, um, myself and everyone included on the team has been involved in that and a Facebook page to go with it because there never was one before. so, so that, so we've been building that with, um, you know, trying to get followers so that we could therefore get sponsors and that's coming along real well. Um, so then the next thing was to get sponsors. So the first thing in my mind was to, to help get the team some, um, equipment sponsors and wetsuit sponsors 
and that sort of thing. So um, we got Wehana out of Hawaii, um, who was thrilled thrilled to um, to sponsor the women's team. Um, then we had Garmin as well, so that we could have the proper equipment to go and scout the locations um, in Sardinia when we get there a few days or a week before the, the competition. So um, so when we go scouting and we go looking in the water and diving, we can mark the spots with the handheld and the watches that they provided, um, which they so graciously provided because it's a huge deal that um, that we were able to do that. It's expensive. Otherwise, we didn't have that, that sort of thing. So then we've got some spear gun sponsors as well, Red Tide Spear Fishing and Daryl Wong, also out of Hawaii. I feel like we're almost Team Hawaii, which is interesting. <laughs> um, and he's a legend. Actually, GR is a legend here, who is um, the founder of, of Red Tide Spear Fishing, um, as is Daryl Wong in Hawaii as well. And they've been friends for, I think, 30 or 40 years. So um, so that's an interesting interesting parallel. Um but, um, you know, and then just getting more sponsors and trying to raise money to send the team to Worlds. Um, our budget is about $20,000 to send four people to Worlds. And um, so I've been focusing a lot on the fundraising for that, um, creating the T-shirts. We're doing a promotional video. We've got a send-off party that's being coordinated. This will be hosting, you know, several hundred people um, and then training myself. Because um, I may be called on to, well, I may be called on. I may, I may actually dive myself one of the days at the tournament, um, and I'm an alternate, so that if if one person becomes sick, then I'll need to step up as well. So being captain is um, is all that plus keeping the spirits up of the team with motivation and, and chatting throughout the day about, you know, what we're doing for training and, you know, what our diet was that day and, you know, how are we doing, um, you know, on, because everyone has goals, Mm -hmm. you know, of increasing their breath holds or diving deeper and things of that nature. Um, one of the other things that, that I'm doing and I'll be getting with Kelsey on who you spoke with before is, um, creating a, a small portfolio, if you will, of the, the species list of the fish okay. so that we can print them all out. They'll be laminated and that, that, you know, each of us can look at that and study it, um, especially while we're scouting, because the fish there look different than the fish here. So um, so we've got to get familiar with that. Um, you can shoot eels over there and different things and the weights are different as well as to the requirements, uh, minimum and maximum size of fish you can actually spear. So they're measured in grams and they're much smaller there than what we're used to shooting. So, um, so we have to get very familiar with the, you know, what the requirements are for the, the fish that they list that we're allowed to shoot. So, um, so that's kind of a summary of what team captain does. Um, coordinating the travel as well and booking the the uh, the lodging and um, that sort of thing. You know, we're in the middle of doing that as well right now. Uh, and Kelsey mentioned the that you guys had a GoFundMe campaign that we will, linked to in the show notes for her episode, and we'll do that um, for this episode as well. Um, so oh, any you. listeners who are interested in contributing can do so easily. Yeah, one thing to note is the teams over in Europe are – oftentimes government sponsored and um and if not oftentimes they have big companies sponsor them so we don't really have that going on here um 
you know, I'm definitely going to work on it. But but what's important to understand about the women's team is in 2018 was the first time there was an event for women. There was a where we were permitted, or there was an event at the, the world level where women could spear. Okay, and so mm-hmm. it, it it had never happened before. It was historic. So the U.S. team went in and for the first time and won first place as a team and brought home a gold medal. But what's even more impressive is the U.S. hadn't won a gold medal in 62 years in spearfishing. <laughs> yes. Wow. And so, yeah, so we did it. I mean, it was historic on that's all amazing. levels. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's still also new. And mm-hmm. so that's why we didn't have an Instagram page with 10 years of history. We didn't have, you know, a hundred thousand followers on Facebook and big sponsors. We didn't have all that because it's so new. And so we're kind of building it from scratch, to be honest with you. And um, it's coming along great, but, you know, it's still, um, you know, getting funding and, and gear and coordination and all this. It's it's a huge effort. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, definitely. How, how, how are the team members selected or how do they? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so, so what typically happens is we have a nationals every year or yeah, we have it every year. Um, and, um, so you need to accumulate a history, um, of the rankings of nationals. Um, and so we have a nationals in freshwater and in saltwater. Okay. And they're combined the points and, you know, or who got what place in each. So, um, 2018 was the first time we had any real participation from the women. And I was actually involved in, um, in organizing that event here in Clearwater, Florida. And I'm always promoting women and always trying to get them involved. So I just basically went to all the females in the state and said, Hey, come on, let's do this. And so we had a real big turnout for that year. And thus that's, you know, one of the reasons why they created the event for us at Worlds nice. later that year. But typically you need to have two years worth of um, rankings um, and they combine them and then you just basically get ranked on your scores and um, starting from the top on first, second, third, going on down. And um, so that's how it's how it's decided. It's very cool. Does that make sense? Yes. It, it's kind of like figure skating or anything else. You know, you, you go to nationals and how well you place. And then um, qualify. And, yeah. Except it's just every two years for the world event because they only have it every two years. They don't have it every year. Okay. And so then they combine the two years of nationals to then. Yes, okay. that's correct. And now we're starting to get a history, which started mm-hmm. in 2018. And of mm-hmm. course, last year was canceled altogether. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it doesn't count. So you also, your biography mentions that you started the Women's Spearfishing Alliance. Was that before 2018? Well, what is that? Um, was that before 2018? Well, I, I wouldn't say that I started it. A group of us were talking about it. And um, and we've been talking about this for some time. And Megan Folletti, who is the president of the Women's Spearfishing Alliance, said, come on, let's do this. So, um, so myself and her and a few others just decided we'd create the Women... Women's Spearfishing Alliance. There might have been five or ten of us. I'm not sure at the time. And it was a few years back. And um, we wanted a club that was focused on women who spearfish. So not necessarily women who go take pictures or women who um, collect shells or or any of that kind of thing. We wanted to just have a, a defined community of women who spearfish. And 
So that's just how it started with the concept. And, um, you know, it's growing in membership and um, um, we wanted it, you know, I don't know how to put this. Um, You know, we wanted to focus on real issues. So the environment as well. And a lot of um, a lot of the members work for um, uh, FWC, so Florida Wildlife. and um, they're they're really highly intelligent, and they they understand the ecosystems. They understand what's going on with the fish and the stocks, and you know whether we should open a season up for a particular fish or not. Um, they're really educated on the effects of red tide, um, which is going on here in Florida, the algae bloom that tends to kill fish um, tremendous amounts and really poor, you know, a lot this year. It's a tremendous amount this year. Um, but so we wanted women that spearfish that were serious, um, that were conscious of the environment as well and, um, educate, you know, we wanted to have a group where we would have topics that were educational once a month. And, um, Megan's done a good job with that of, of having really good topics. And we've had zoom meetings, you know, because of COVID and everything. And now we're having real meetings again. So, um, Mm That's great. And Melody, you earlier you talked about like um, spearfishing and how you usually do that with um, a partner. But how important has that community um, that you just spoke about, how important has that been to you in your sport? Well, I mean, it's been really important. Um, I'm very fortunate Mm -hmm. that. I'm I'm fortunate in where I'm where I live in Florida and even, you know, on a lower level here in Tampa because spearfishing is really a big deal here and there's a lot of people that do it. But I made mm-hmm. friends with some of the 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 top in the world and, and I dive with them on the weekends and so I've got to learn from them, mm-hmm. you know, and progress with them and um have good habits and be safe mm-hmm. in the water. So, um and, um, you know, I call it my tribe, but, um, you know, we have each other's backs and, um, we're safe in the water. We protect each other and we give each other advice and it's, it's hugely important to have, um, to be diving mm-hmm. with the same people, you know, routinely, um, you know, what, you know, what they're going to do in a situation, you know, how they're going to react and it, it's just safe. So, um, and we celebrate, we celebrate each other's achievements, you know, we push each other, you know, a lot. So it's, it's rewarding. It's great. And, um, and I consider myself really very, very fortunate. Can you tell us a story of a memorable time in the water? A story. Hmm. It's always so hard to narrow it down that I hate asking that question, but (laughs) but there it is. Memorable time in the water. Okay, here I've got one. Okay. So, okay, this goes back to Roosevelt, which is one of my closest friends and who I dive with um, almost exclusively every weekend. So she was got invited on a trip to go to Costa Rica to shoot tuna. And, you know, and I'm like, I want to go. I want to go. And, of course, I really didn't know what I was doing at the time. <laughs> okay. And she's like, well, I'll ask them if you can go. So I don't know why they let me go. Okay. <laughs> but, but they did, you know. And so we went out, um, you know, spearfishing in Costa Rica, and we were going for yellowfin tuna. This was my first trip. I've been on many since. But um, so um, so everybody on the, the boat um, 
were, you know, way more tenured than myself, way more experienced. You know, they knew exactly what they were doing. And um, so I, I just asked questions and got instructions and, and um, I just sat on the back of the boat by myself, actually just focusing and, you know, trying to think through what they had given me in terms of tips and, and how to do this and um, thinking, how, how in the world did I get here and, and why in the world did they let me? <laughs> okay, so, so anyways, um, so I dove down and on one dive and went down and took the shot and shot a 68 pound yellowfin tuna. Oh. And, um, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> okay. So, but I did follow the instructions exactly what they said. And I focused, um, you know, really hard and, um, went down and, and got it. And, um, and I just remember screaming at Rosabelle to double shaft the fish, to double shaft it, you know, shoot it again, you know, and, and she's like, she, cause she's really good. She just swims down and she looks at it she, and she comes back up. She says, you've got it. It's no problem. And I st- just kept screaming at her. I don't care. Shoot it again. <laughs> okay. So, so after about the fourth or fifth time, she said, if you don't shut up, I'm going to shoot you. So, <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, okay, fine. So we got it on board. And I mean, I couldn't believe it talking about happiness. So, um, anyways, yeah, since then I shot a 112 pound one wow. later, but, um, but wow. it's nothing was, nothing beats the first time like that. Mm-hmm. You just, I mean, yeah, sure. It's great. The, the big fish, 112 pound, but the first time, I mean, I just, it was probably like the most experience, like most amazing experience ever. So it's oh, fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. We're going to take a quick break to hear from, uh, to hear a word from our sibling podcast and WF outdoors. We will be right back. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Okay, welcome back. Um, Melody, thank you. This, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, curious about is you mentioned uh, that one of the goals of the Women's Spearfishing Alliance is to um, bring people's awareness to some of the environmental concerns. And I'm curious just how you've seen um, the environment that you spearfish in, um, or the populations of fish that you pursue, how you've seen that change in the last decade or so? Okay. Um, well, you know, that, that's, that's kind of regional. So Mm -hmm. for example, when you go down to the Florida Keys and you dive, um, I, I guess to me, that's, that's one of the biggest things where I, I do see a change of the reef dying. Um, and, um, like Katie, Katie Cummings, for example, she's in WSA and also, um, we consider part of the USA team. Mm. Um, I think she's going to go to Italy with us in fact, but, um, anyways, that's what she does, um, for FWC is she looks at corals and takes samples and then she replants healthy ones and, and that sort of thing. So she's spoken a little bit about that, um, 
you know, a different meeting, she'll she'll lead a, a discussion on that and educate us and with slideshows and talk about, um, you know, the progress they're making on regrowing coral reefs and things of that nature. Um, in terms of locally, so um, I guess I, I would point to the hogfish population. Hogfish is a really um, great tasting fish and it's very popular here in Florida. Um, so, for example, over on the East Coast, they keep raising the sizes of um, well, they do it throughout Florida, but um, I see it more so on the East Coast of making the sizes much, much bigger over there because the population has been decimated. Um, and so I'm starting to see a little bit of that where we are here as well. Um, one of the, the reasons why I think that may be is um, a lot of the fishermen have have now learned how to catch them on hook and line, whereas a few years back, nobody knew how to do it. Mm. So, um, and it's a, a fish that the restaurants want because it's so popular. And um, in WSA, you know, we have um, several women that, that are on the inside and understand, um, you know, the numbers of those populations and they study it and this is what they do for a living. So, um, you know, whenever I, don't know an answer to a question, I'll say, hey, smart people, tell me why this is. Mm-hmm. And and then I'll get really educated and, and articulate responses that, you know, even I can understand. So um, so from that perspective, it's it's uh, it's good. The, the club is good. Um, it's not completely just focused on spearfishing. Um, I think we had a topic one night about the um, the sunscreens that are mm. the, the the ingredients that can destroy the coral reefs, and so we had a discussion about the sunscreen brands like Stream to Sea that 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 will not harm the coral reef, and um, so um, so there's a lot of interesting things we talk about, you know, at the at the meetings um, um, that are not just spear fishing, so. Uh. And I want to give a quick shout out to Katie Cummings, since you mentioned her, um, for a couple of yeah. things. One, she's our Artemis ambassador. Um, down, oh, awesome. Yeah, down in the Keys. And and I have her to thank for putting me in touch with you all. Um, so, Katie, if you're listening, high five. You're cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, how, oh gosh, what was my next question? I guess, well, Brianne, let me pause and take a breath. Do you have any questions? Um, well, I was, I was just reflecting um, a lot of what you mentioned, um, Melody, today, it, it's kind of, yeah, highlighting the fact that it's just not spear fishing that you're doing. Earlier, you mentioned diving for a cause um, and just how that connects to, you know, connect spear fishing to um, local communities. And then uh, you also mentioned, you know, how um, spearfishing is connected to um, the environment. Um, I, I'm just, I'm just really sitting on that, Marsha. <laughs> well, uh, for example, when you, when you, most of fish that we get in the world is from netting, you know, and, and, and commercial fishermen. But when you're spearfishing, mm-hmm. you can go down and selectively choose the fish. You can look at the the health of the reef and see how much pressure is on it and make a conscious decision of whether you think you should take that big grouper or not or just let it go. So from that perspective, you know, and, you know, and you're picking the bigger ones, hogfish turn from female to male. So it used to be my 
my rule is I would not shoot a female hogfish. Okay. It's kind of like taking a lobster with eggs. Like you just don't do that. But, um, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, now since the populations are going down, I mean, you can see male hogfish as small as eight inches sometimes, and it used to be 14. So that can't be my rule anymore. But, um, but it is from the perspective of, um, you know, you're not just long lining or collecting fish with nets and, you know, whatever dies in the process, you know, so be it. That, that's not how it is with spearfishing. You selectively mm-hmm. decide what it is you're going to take. And, um, and in my case recently, you know, over the last few years, I'm, I'm kind of just looking for fish for, for me to eat that, that week and, um, maybe a few mm-hmm. for, for friends and, and neighbors. So, um, so that's, that's the difference between, um, you know, um, mm-hmm. when we're fishing, here's the other thing. You throw the hook in the water, you don't know what's going to bite it. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, chances mm-hmm. are it will die when you bring it up. Okay. But when you're spearfishing, you know exactly what you're aiming at and you selectively harvest that fish. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so interesting. Cause I, uh, you, you know, Artemis is an organization for women hunters and anglers. So we have a lot of conversations about how hunting and fishing can like it, it forces you to immerse yourself in the natural world and pay really close attention to it. Um, and it was just amazing to me. I, I, I'm not quite even sure what I want to say, but just hearing you describe that connection to the environment that you're spearfishing in um, and how closely that translates to my experience um, hunting on land. Cause I mean, it's the same thing, right? You're, you're hunting in- pretty much the species environment and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the attention and the connection, um, is the same. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Whether, and there's nothing quite like being one with nature. Yep. So if you're hunting out in the woods and it's just you or you and your hunting buddy, you know, and you've hiked 10 miles and you're out there and it's just absolutely beautiful. You, it's calming, it's peaceful. You feel one with the world and it's the same thing in the ocean. And I, I equate it to what I call the, free diving yoga mindset. And I, and I think about it. I, I did this past weekend when I was going down, you know, I just thought be one with the ocean, absorb the environment, you know, look around and, and see what's going on. So, um, I, it's just incredible. It's beautiful. Uh, I think competing, um, in worlds and then also the experience you have, um, as a figure skater and competing at a high level there. Um, I mean, there's definitely, like what what can you share with us about kind of that high level competition mindset well it requires a lot of discipline and it has to and you have to learn how to manage your nerves quite a bit mm-hmm. and stay in the zone um so there was a movie that i watched um i can't think of the name of it but a peaceful warrior and it's a fantastic movie about a gymnast, and it's a true story about, he, you know, he got into this motorcycle accident. And anyways, he fought back through physical therapy and was able to end up making the, the gymnastics team for the United States. But the, the message of the movie was basically what's going on. And if you say nothing, then that's not the answer because everything's going on right at this second. So everything that's surrounding you in every corner that you're looking at there is something going on. So if you can just get into that moment of what's going on right now, not what could happen, what if, what if this happened? Oh no, I messed that up. So you're not going back and, and reflecting on the fact that you fell on a jump and figure skating. 
and you are not going forward in the thought that, oh, do I have enough breath to stay down to get that fish? You're just in the moment right here, right now. And um, so mm-hmm. if you can manage that with some mental acuity, if you can if you can learn the discipline, and again, I think the yoga mindset is, is just beautiful of just being at peace, um, then I think that that's incredibly helpful in, in any any high-stress sport or, or discipline sport to just be in the moment of what you're doing at that second and what, what your job is right then. Can you speak to what spearfishing has meant to your health? You talked about, um, you know, this mental space and being disciplined mm-hmm. in that and um, – as soon as we opened the podcast, you talked about how you eat fresh fish um, mm-hmm. maybe two to three times a week. Like, how important has it been to you and your health? Well, I think it's extremely, extremely important. Um, I mean, so if you eat fresh fish, it, 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 it logically would make sense that you would eat fresh vegetables to go with it. So, so it kind of mm-hmm. carries over. Uh, I'm not going to say that everything I eat is organic at all, but I do try to eat a, a ton of superfoods. So basically, mm-hmm. I, you know, I eat kale or, um, gosh, dandelion and um, field greens and whatnot with a with some fish on top of it. So that's basically, you know, mm-hmm. with other things, obviously, but that's obviously how I eat for the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. And um, even my dog loves fresh fish. <laughs> so I cut it up and feed my dog. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you, you can move in, you can stay. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so um, along the lines of the physical challenges of free diving, um, so in order to support that, I, I do, I work out and I do a lot of cardio that helps to reinforce my ability to dive well. So, um, so it's basically just mm-hmm. an overall healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other questions that I wanted to circle back to um, kind of feeds off of what Brienne was noticing is like just the string of um, giving back that's evident in your story. Uh, and I'd love to hear uh, a little bit of m- more about the donation of fish from the tournament that you helped organize. Okay, good, because that's a great topic for me. Yeah. <laughs> so so in spearfishing tournaments, you, they give you a list of fish a lot of the times that you, you know, you get so many points for this one or that one. And um, so we get points for this barracuda category. And a lot of people don't eat it because they, you know, it smells and, you know, they think it's a bad fish or you could get cigatera from it or all that. So, but we don't really have that concern here in the Gulf of Mexico. It's really highly unusual that you would get sick from a barracuda. And so what happens is everyone would shoot hundreds and hundreds of pounds of barracuda and it would just get dumped back in the ocean. And all they would shoot was purposes of winning the trophy or getting five points or 20 points or whatever. So I looked at that and it bothered me because to me, if you're going to take a life, you should definitely um, honor it and, and, um, and eat that life. Mm -hmm. Okay. In some way. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I looked at that and um, I work with Metropolitan Ministries locally, which is a um, local non-for-profit that supports homeless people. And I, got them involved in the donation of fish. So um, at tournaments, um, we would put a, a prize on it. Basically, if you donate fish, you get a raffle ticket for this on the table. You'll win. You could win this. 
and or you could just donate your fish just to be a nice person. So um, so we had people start giving fish for the fish donations. Um, and a lot of them would give good fish, quality fish, and we got Barracuda as well. And um, so um, so we started using it to to feed homeless people. And then we had a, um, I have another cause that's uh, once a year we do this. Um, and this one is just, has been for, for one particular lady that um, has cancer really bad. So we um, would take the barracuda that nobody wanted from the tournaments and we would freeze it, okay, and um, later cook it and we'd sell plates of fish and rice and they made it Brazilian style, the ladies who were involved in this. And we've done it two years in a row and made about $3,000 each time. So basically from donated food that nobody would have wanted. And um, so, so I hope that, you know, that other tournaments, and anyone listening to this, I hope that they, you know, would promote that as well. That there's just no sense in killing something just so that you could win a trophy or anything if you're just going to throw it away. So, um, so anyways, that's um, that's kind of how I got started in that. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are. Are you able otherwise to like? Can you choose to keep the fish from the tournament and take them home? Oh, and sure. Do you want with them? Yeah, yeah, most people do. But, you know, for example, I, I shoot barracuda every weekend um, because it's, you know, th- there, there's people who want it. And um, I actually make smoked fish from it, too. And and I've done it where I put a real high quality, you know, quality fish where I'd smoke that and then I would smoke the barracuda and then I'd make my fish dip and I'd put it on the table and nobody could ever tell the difference. Mm-hmm. So the classification of that particular fish as inedible um is just not it's not accurate so um and what anyways. was the what was the disease you mentioned that people are worried about okay so cigatera yeah. yeah cigatera happens um when um fish eat coral a lot so um it's really prevalent more down in the Caribbean, um, down there and the Bahamas and that kind of thing. So you'll find it a lot in hogfish and things of that because they're eating that coral. Um, but barracuda eat those fish. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so it goes up the food chain a lot and all fish do. So you have a risk with almost any fish, you know, there's minuscule, but with certain species, there's, there's more. And Kara could probably articulate that beautifully okay, <laughs> more so than myself. But, um, but here in the Gulf Coast, um, we just don't have any instances of it. In fact, I solicited them within WSA to tell me, you know, what's the risk of me feeding this barracuda at a at a fundraiser? And they said virtually zero over mm-hmm. here. It's just never that heard of um, in the Gulf here in the Tampa Bay area. So, yes. anyways, um, is there a fish in Italy that you're looking forward to eating? Hmm. <laughs> Well, I don't know if they eat eel, but I would hope they do. Oof. So I would like to try it if they do. And yeah. um, however they cook it locally in some kind of fancy Italian dish, that'd be fantastic. So. I, uh, I lived in Japan for a year, which is where my love of sushi and sashimi comes from. And eel is, I mean, it's grilled, um, but uh, eel sushi was one of my favorites. Really? Okay. Highly recommend it. Good. <laughs> um, Melody, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we transition to our closing question? Um, just that I'm really proud of the team that we have. Um, 
they're just so amazing. Each each of them bring a different skill set and a different different things to the table, and um, they're working really hard. and And I think they're going to come through. You know, when we get to Sardinia, and um, I'm just really proud of the team. You know, coming together, working so hard, and training and whatnot um, for us to all, you know all go together and and do the best job that we can for the U.S. It's going to be amazing. How how long are you going to be in Italy? Um, we get there on, well, we fly out on September 10th. We get there on the 11th and the tournament ends on the 20th. And I think we leave a couple of days later after that. Oh, so, wow. Okay. That's a pretty yeah. quick turnaround. Yeah. But, well, but lovely. Yeah. We've got to be there um, five days in advance in my mind to effectively scout for fish. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and hopefully we've got some good weather to do that in. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's here's one other thing that I didn't mention. What's interesting at the world level is each each person is going to get a boat. When I say a boat, it's going to be a little dinghy. And um, so um, you you go out and and you've got the captain or the guy driving the boat. And if you have a spotter, you know, like if you can afford a spotter or someone comes with you, then you can have them on the boat. But nobody else is allowed in the water with you. Mm-hmm. So. In free diving, you have a risk of what's called a blackout, okay? And um, because, you know, your brain can get deprived of oxygen too much. And anyways, so you always dive with a buddy because of that. So what I find interesting is at the world level, you're not allowed to have a a buddy, a spotter in the water. And yeah, yeah, so that seems um, unusual to me. So, um, you know, I, when I get there and, and, you know, I have to, I have to familiarize myself with the dynamics of the World Federation so that I understand, you know, why they do things a certain way and is it possible to change things a little bit. So that's kind of a personal goal of mine is to see if maybe we could introduce a little bit more of a safe practice there where you could have somebody in the water in case you blackout. Blackouts happen at the surface, by the way, 95% of the time. So, and it does happen. And it's just very easy to get a diver to recover from it without dying. So um, there's about between 15 and 100 people a year who die from blackouts free diving per year. And um, so it does happen. I, I know of people personally that it's happened to. And, um, and if you've got your buddy there as a spotter, you, you're not going to die. So, um, so anyways, that's, that's something that's, kind of on my list at Worlds to try and understand why we can't change that rule where there couldn't be a, a designated spotter in the water. Yeah, so. that surprises me. Mm-hmm. Well, we remember women have only been involved once. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so, so there, there you go. go. <laughs> okay. so. uh, Bria, do you have any last questions for Melody? Yeah, I have one um, last question. Um, Melody, you've been a part of something that's really historic um, and been a leader um, with that, where do you envision or where do you hope um, women spearfishing here in the U.S., um, where would you hope it would be um, in the future? Well, I mean, we're, we're definitely on our way. Um, you know, one of the, the, the biggest issues, what... One of the biggest things is typically the men have the toys, okay? So they have the big boats. And women don't usually mm-hmm. go down that road of buying a boat and, and all that. So they're usually 
you know, having to get invited or ask, can I go too? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a boat owner, same as Kelsey, Rosabelle has been. And, and I'd kind of like to see women get, get just a little bit more, you know, take it a, fr- a step further so that, so they're just kind of more self-sufficient that way and they can all dive. And that's part of mm-hmm. being part of a club like, you know, WSA and some others. So, um, so I would like to, to see that competency level of owning a boat, navigating, scouting, understand the equipment, emergencies, and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I'd like to see it go to the next level, which is the right level, you know, for us to be mm-hmm. kind of on the equal playing field. Um, but in terms of the women and the, and the ability in the water, um, uh, I'd put my women up against the, the men's team right now. <laughs> okay, So I've I'm, I'm just it's definitely coming along very fast. And, um, and from what I understand, the, uh, the dynamics and the numbers are, I think that right now it's, um, women entering and taking free diving courses is 60, 60 to 40 at this point. So it's growing, um, as a sport that women want to definitely be involved with and, um, take, take classes and learn on right now. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Those numbers are exciting. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Uh, I have a million other questions, but if I continue to indulge, we'll be here for <laughs> hours. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys having me on. This has been it's been great. Oh, it's it's so f- I I've enjoyed this conversation immensely, um, and I'm so curious to talk to Rosabelle and Nicole and hear their stories um, as well because I think. Uh, I, I, I love, obviously, this is what I do for a living. I love talking to women and hearing their stories. Um, but, and I think talking to women who have committed themselves to the level that the team has, um, brings a whole, uh, interesting component to it that I'm just really enjoying, um, again, diving into with you all. Well, you're always welcome (laughs) to come on my boat. Just come on down. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to go to Hawaii. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> Goodness, I yes, the whole team has to come here. <laughs> that would be great. Well, it looks it looks like the island has sponsored us, so maybe we should we should do that trip. So, anyways, yes. Um, okay, so then it's time for our final question, which is our weekly closer, and the question is, what have you been aiming for, and how did it go, Brian? Do you want to kick us off again? Sure. Um, what I've been aiming for is making one decision at a time. I feel like a lot of times I'm overwhelmed with a lot of ideas, um, not a lot of ideas, a lot of things to do, but just focusing on like doing one thing at a time, um, has been my aim. And I think for today, I think I'm doing that well. Nice. I like it. You can take that, that. Uh, mindset that Melody mentioned. <laughs> there you to, go. To help with that. That is hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, the, what are the, those squirrel days where you jump from task to task and try to do a million mm-hmm. things at once. And mm-hmm. I have those all the time. I hope <laughs> tomorrow goes well for you uh, too, Brianne. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Melody, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? <laughs> well, I've been aiming to to get the team on task and um but I've been putting myself on the back burner and so 
it's been in the back of my mind that my training has to happen too. So, um, mm-hmm. I made a commitment a couple of days ago to just definitely slot out some time for myself daily, um, a little bit of meditation, some yoga, breathing exercises and, um, you know, training for free diving because, um, mm. you know, time is valuable and, um, and I definitely, you know, have goals for myself, um, in that area. So, so I'll let you know how it goes in a couple of months. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. We should have, the work yeah. Process. Um, we'll have to schedule a, a follow-up conversation after Worlds too to get a report sure. about how it goes. If you're open to that, I think that could be really fun. I would love to hear. Um, that would be great. And for anybody who's interested, go look at go look at the Women's USA Spearfishing Team on on Instagram, and you can read about all the biographies and about all the ladies. And we're doing our best to to do that and put some informational things out there, um, you know, so that people can see what we're doing. Yeah, so. and we will link to that in our show notes as well. Awesome. Um, so my, I've been aiming to stay cool because <laughs> it's been in the nineties in Montana since like May. Um, and I don't have any air conditioner because that's not typical, um, for Montana summers. And so I've been hot for like two months straight, like unbearably hot but it rained yesterday which was amazing and it dropped down to the 70s and so I went for a lovely hike in the rain this morning and it was the most amazing thing and it was just a big hit and you could see like when I reached the top of the mountains I was actually in the clouds and you can look down at the valley and see the sun coming through and you know those magical magical moments um and it was uh, it was welcome. It was a welcome relief from the smoke and the heat that we've been experiencing um, lately. So that was a huge hit for me. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Melody, thank you again. This was a wonderful conversation and I appreciate your time. Oh, it's been great. I appreciate it, ladies. You all have a wonderful day. You too. And good luck. Thanks so much. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you, Melody. You're welcome. Take care, guys. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Mm